Ephesians 4. I know you've heard these verses before, but I'm hoping that you will hear these verses now. Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about by, about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, according to the translators, everything I read to you, there is one single sentence. You may be seated. Other translators break it up a little bit more than that. But according to the King James translators, the punctuation in the King James, those uh, five verses, uh, six verses actually, are one single sentence. I'm reading to you now from the Amplified, the Amplified Version, Ephesians 4 and 11. It's amazing this water bottle does not magnify my voice or amplify my voice. Ephesians 4, 11, and his gifts were varied. He himself appointed and gave men to us, some to be apostles, special messengers, some prophets, inspired preachers and expounders, some evangelists, preachers of the gospel, traveling missionaries, some pastors, shepherds of his flocks, of, of his flock, and teachers. His intention was the perfecting and the full equipping of, of, of the saints, his consecrated people, that they should do the work of ministering toward building up Christ's body of the church, that it might develop until we all attain oneness in the faith and in the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God, that we may arrive at really mature manhood, the completeness of personality which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and the completeness found in Him. That's not talking about faithful churchgoers. That's not talking about coming to the place that you're a faithful church attender. That's not talking about somebody who meets the requirements of religion, even Pentecostal religion. Verse 14, so then we may no longer be children tossed like ships to and fro between chance gusts of teaching 
and wavering with every changing wind of doctrine, the prey of the cunning and cleverness of unscrupulous men, gamblers engaged in every shifting form of trickery and inventing errors to mislead. This is not talking about people that go to casinos. This is talking about people that are gambling with their soul by believing a lie and trusting that lie to save them. Rather, let us, let our lives lovingly express truth in all things, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, enfolded in love. Let us grow up in every way and in all things into Him who is the head, even Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. For because of Him, the whole body, the church, in all its various parts, closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments which it is supplied, with which it is supplied, when each part, with power adapted to its need, is working properly in all its function, grows to full maturity, building itself up in love. This is a lofty goal. This is a lofty place to get to. And in my 57 plus years of having the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I can't honestly tell you I know very many people, including myself in my opinion, who have reached this lofty place in God. And since he's not really talking about individuals, he's talking about church bodies of fellowship in local areas in, in, in where, where there is where there's a bond. We're not talking about the spiritual bond of the body between us and people in Singapore or in uh, Malaysia or in, uh, in, in, in Zambia or Spain. We're talking about we're talking about the amount of, the degree of maturity that a local body can and should come to. A body that's not trying to fulfill the expectations of tradition and heritage. But a body that is measuring itself individually and collectively only by the Word of God. Not by past experiences or practices of the church in the last 150 years. But by the experiences and practices of the church in the first 150 years of its existence. They were not supermen. They were not human beings that could not experience temptation and struggle like us. In fact, if you read the epistles carefully and with some perspective, you will accept the fact that every epistle was written to a church to solve problems.
Paul wasn't even dead yet. And he wrote to warn about stuff that had crept into the church in its first 35 or 40 years of existence. If a church that's still basking in the glory of the, of the day of Pentecost is capable of being opened up to false teaching and being susceptible to false apostles and prophets, that's capable of being polluted by religious tradition, which is perversion, spiritual perversion. If the church that still has so many people alive that were there that day, people alive that had personal relationship with Jesus, and remember that the last apostle to die died somewhere in the nine, uh, uh, the nineties, or some even have said close to a hundred A.D. The apostle John, who was very close to Jesus personally, not just spiritually. If if in that first seventy years of the history of the church, with men alive who actually saw him do miracles that heard his natural voice speak Logos and Rhema from God, if they were susceptible, then tell me why we can be so smug as to think we're not susceptible. I trust God. I didn't invent any of the promises that God made to this church. Many of them, I was no more of a participant than everybody else present when they were spoken by somebody else. Two-thirds of them were spoken by people that were not a member of this church, a minister, a man of God who was here for whatever reason. And I know so many times when you, when you, when you rehearse those promises in your mind and spirit, I know how easy it is to consider when you compare those promises to our current situation, status, and whatever, and say it's impossible. But I trust the God who gave those promises. I trust him. He didn't have to explain to me how he was going to do it to get me to believe it. He didn't tell me to produce them. He only challenged me to believe them and to continue to confess them. That's all he did. No matter what it looked like, no matter what we were going through, no matter what it felt like, The scripture says there would be seasons where the church would be shaken so that only that which cannot be shaken would remain. It's a painful thing when you've been someplace almost 45 years, seen over 10,000 people pray through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Every single one of them, you have great hope for them. 
And many of them, many of them are living for God in other places. And I'm thankful for that. But do you, do you comprehend at all that you're the group that has survived the shaking to stay here? Do you get that? Regardless of what you think of yourself, you have survived the shakings. Regardless of your personal struggles, regardless of your difficulties, you have survived the shakings. We got a bunch of people sick today. Not here. We have people that have very legitimate reasons for not being here. I pray that they'll watch this. I hope they do. If they don't, that's between them and God. It's not up to the pulpit to make you hungry. It's not up to the pulpit to give you passion. It's not up to the pulpit to give you determination or resolve that you will not be separated from your opportunity to be a part of what God has is doing and will do here. It's not up to the pulpit to do that. If you want to survive the shaking, you have to decide not to be shaken. If you want to decide to survive the purgings, the purgings of the Holy Ghost, the scripture says, heresies must come. Heresies are not just false doctrine. They're false ideas, false opinions. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, against the will of God, that has to be brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Heresies must come. Why? Because after the threshing is the winnowing. I preached this, taught this a couple of months ago. I don't know how long it's been, a month, two months, I don't remember. I just get up from more and more and try to do the will of God. I can't keep track of it anymore. There's way too much stuff going on. And I taught this here. Again. The first thing God does with the harvest is bring it to the threshing floor. The first thing. The first thing he immediately starts doing is separating the chaff from the wheat. But it's the ox that does that. <coughs> Muzzle not the ox that treadeth out the corn. It's not corn like we eat, which is called maize. Corn has always been used of the kernels of wheat on the stalk. That was used as, that word corn was used there long before it was ever used in, in, in the Native American vegetable that we call corn. I, you know, I, the principles of the Word of God are so absolutely counter and contrary to so many current church growth concepts. Some of you may have heard the terminology seeker-friendly church. Let's don't do anything in church that would make a sinner uncomfortable. Huh? 
So a person comes in the building with sin in their life and they're supposed to leave having never been made uncomfortable? You're kidding me, right? If you, if you have, if there's any spirit of holiness in a church, and I'm not talking about standards, that's, that's just one manifestation of true holiness. But spirit of holiness, where people are separated from this world and separated unto God in their lives and their lifestyles and their desires and their, 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 their hunger for God. There, there's a presence of God that comes because of that. And a sinner cannot Come sit in that and leave uncomfortable. Seeker friendly church. How about Jesus friendly church? How about a church that welcomes the Savior and says to everybody else, if you're looking for a Savior, you can come here and find Him. If you're just looking for some place to belong and pat you on the back, tell you you're okay, this ain't it. No apologies made. This is not it. So I'm going to say this again. I know that I was pastor here for 35 years. I know that. I know that. I know I was pastor here for 35 years. And December the 18th, our senior pastor will have been senior pastor for 10 full years, believe it or not. 10 years. December the 18th, 2005, 2015. And, 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 and I, I, I said this a couple of months ago. I, I understand that for so many of you wonderful people, your emotional attachment to my wife and I is there. Nobody's trying to get you to break that emotional attachment. But if your emotions are demanding that we roll back the clock and put the single voice single in this single pulpit and that this church be built around a single personality, I'm really, really sorry. You're going to have to find yourself some other backward place to go to church because this is not that backward. It's not, no, not going to happen. You know why? Because this has been the goal all along. Ephesians 4.11 has been the goal all along. To get to verse 12, his intention was to perfect, and this is amplified, uh, Ephesians 4.12. This is the goal. His intention was the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, his consecrated people, that they should do the work of, the, of ministering toward building up the body of Christ, the church. Okay? The only way a church body, including and especially a local geographical church body, can get to that place is by a multiple voice pulpit. Why? Because it takes all five giftings to perfect the people of God, to bring to fully equip the people of God. And whether, whether, whether you may like it or not, I only have two giftings. The first one is an apostolic gifting. I didn't say I'm an apostle. That's somebody else's problem to figure out. But for this city, 
I fulfilled the work of an apostolic gifting. When you go someplace and there is nothing, and God gives you the authority and the faith to carve out a church from nothing, that is an apostolic gifting. And I am gifted as a teacher. So number one and five are resident in my life. Just like Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. I've had dreams and visions at times, not very often, but enough. God speaks to a prophet through dreams and visions. Those few dreams and visions I've had don't make me a prophet. They don't mean I have a prophetic gifting. I love this people. And I did the work of a pastor for years. But I'm not a pastor. And I'm sure not an evangelist. Because those of you that were here for years, you know what my evangelistic preaching was. I'm going to teach you Acts 2.38. And show you why you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. That's not evangelistic preaching. The only way it comes close to being evangelistic preaching is when Jesus said, go into all the world and teach. And that's not the same thing as preaching because the very word evangelist means to declare or preach good news. Frequently the, prof the prophet doesn't have good news. He doesn't have good news. No. And in the United Pentecostal Church today, there are many men traveling under the banner of a evangelist because that's all we will allow them to tra travel under. And they're not evangelists. God sends them places to set churches in order, to expose sin, bring revival. A prophet brings revival. An evangelist is a reaper and a harvest. They're not the same ministry. They're not. Hey! I, I had the privilege of being involved in crusades over the years, especially in the 90s. Crusade preacher. Yes. Evangelist. And one of the evangelistic message I preached in crusades more than any other else was, have you received what Jesus came to give? And I taught what John the Baptist prophesied Jesus came to give, which was the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So I just taught to... 10,000 people and people got the Holy Ghost, but I wasn't an evangelist. I wasn't a reaper. I was just someplace in the will of God for a period doing the will of God, and that was it. Because any child of God, in any particular situation, God can use you to do anything. You may have resident in you, meaning God uses you most frequently in any one or two or whatever of the gifts of the Spirit. But that doesn't mean that God can't use you in any of the gifts of the Spirit on occasion. So, I, I, this is not, this is the first part of the message. It's about three parts to this tonight. And this is introduction for the next two nights. I'm going to say this again to all of you.
Okay? If we show up here next Thursday night and there's nobody here because you don't like the multiple voices that God's using in this church, we're not changing it. This is the will of God. The way we were forced to do it when you start with nothing is only the beginning of stage. You know what? Caterpillars can't fly. Every church starts out as a caterpillar. But caterpillars can't fly. And so God sends churches, sends people individually, but especially churches, through a metamorphosis, a time of constricting and struggle in a cocoon, not of your making, not of your making. And in that time of transformation and struggle, God transforms you from caterpillar to butterfly. And I know it's a struggle. We call it transition. It's really transformation. It's transformation. And yes, it's painful. It's difficult. But oh God, is there anybody that really wants to be earthbound inching along like a caterpillar when you can fly like a butterfly? Because if you're satisfied inching along like a caterpillar, you're in the wrong building. Because that's not the will of God here. That's not what He's doing with us. That's not the plan of God. It's not happening. And, and God has blessed us over the years to have men with these five giftings come and be in our pulpit. But hear me, that's not enough. And here today, right now, sitting in this building, there are multiple people in this building right now for each one of these giftings. There are multiple people in this room right now that have an apostolic gifting. There are multiple people in this room, this room, not, not count the ones that aren't here. There are multiple people in this room that have a prophetic gifting. There are multiple people in this room that have an evangelistic gifting. There are multiple people in this room that have a shepherding gifting. There are multiple people in this room that have a, that have a teaching gifting. Why? Because there's no other way for this body to become what God has designed it to be without multiple people using these multiple gifts to fully equip the people of God in some scenario or situation. Some one-on-one, -on -one, some in, in care groups, some in home Bible studies, some, some in church services, some in training classes, and all other kind of different places. It's the will of God. Those of you that are spiritual, he that hath ears to hear needs to listen. This church is never going back to a time that there will be a single voice and a single gifting. We're not there now and we're never going back to a time 
when a single voice and a single gifting is going to dominate this church or lead this church. That, that time is over with. That was necessary in the beginning, but it's not that way anymore. I want everybody that has started coming to this church, whether saved or you moved here, uh, originally. Not I'm not talking about ones that moved away and came back. But you started coming to this church after December the 18th, 2005. You had never attended Antioch before December the 18th, 2005. Would you stand? Say, why aren't there more here tonight, brother, right? Don't you understand what Thursday night's about? Thursday night is supposed to be the leadership of Antioch wherever there is leadership and those who are presenting themselves to be trained and be a part of leadership. Let me say this. I want want all of you to hear this. These people that are standing never sat under me as their pastor. And when you look at the number of people that are part of the crowd number on Sunday mornings. Souls in the seats. That's the edited version of that. When you look at that percentage of people of the Sunday morning group that were not here before December the 18th, 2005, who never sat under my ministry as pastor, you're gonna, you're gonna get a real clue. Now, you may be seated. Those of you that started coming to Antioch before December the 18th, 2005, I want you to stand up. First of all, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look around and see how many people that have been here 15 years, 20 years. People raised in this church. I want you to look around and see that. You know why? Oh, precious ones, please listen to me. If you've been here 10 years, please tell me why in this world... You're still coming to church going, ah, 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 ah. I've got a word for, from God for every one of you standing here. I want you to put it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. The back one's not working. Somebody let me know when it's on the screen back there. Hebrews 5 and 12. Is it there yet? Okay. This word is for you that are standing. When for the time you ought to be teachers. Do some of you still need someone to teach you again? What are the baby steps of being a child of God? You've been here 10 years. 
and your salvation is still dependent upon the next church service? I'm not, I'm not rebuking you. I'm challenging you. I love you. You don't have a clue how important you are here. When for the time, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's new King James. I don't want that. I want the King James. There's just enough change to mess you up. If it was an improvement, that'd be okay. Hello, King James, please. Oh, there you go. For when for the time you ought to be teachers. He's not speaking to babies. He's not speaking to new people in the body of Christ. For when for the time you, he didn't say you preachers need to be teachers. He's talking about saints that's been around a while. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, I'm paraphrasing now and tailoring this to you. Do, do you still need someone to teach you again which are the first principles of the, of the Word of God? Are, are you still someone that needs baby food? Again, don't, don't take my tone of voice as rebuke or, 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 or condemnation. I, I'm trying to just get you to look at yourself. <laughs> Folks, there's supposed to be a point in your walk with God where your salvation ceases to be dependent upon the next church service. God have mercy. Next verse, please. Just stay standing a minute. I'm still standing. (laughs) You're doing a better job standing than I am. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, free as a babe. No matter how long he's been saved, if he's still needing milk from the word and can't stand strong meat, he hasn't grown up yet. Next verse. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Precious ones. Are you a giver or a taker? After at least 10 years in the body of Christ, are you still coming to church with your elbows on your sleeve if somebody doesn't shake your hand? When you ought to be the handshaker? If nobody shakes your hand, it's because you didn't do what you ought to be doing. You're the one supposed to be doing the handshaker. You. You're not babies. Oh my God. How could you have survived all that, not steak, tough steak you used to get? Stuff that you had to chew on every bite a while to even have any hope of swallowing. How did you survive that and sitting here tonight with any kind of attitude, ah, 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 because if you don't feed me, preacher, I'm going to die of starvation. 
How did you get there? Did you never go past that? You, you know something? <laughs> you have no idea of the lofty pedestal I put you on. That's truth for God. I may be deceived, but in this case, leave me alone in my deception. But you folks that have been around here a while, I got you on such a lofty pedestal, and my expectations of you are so high because of the pedestal you're on. You've made it. You've survived it. Anybody here got friends or families that have moved out of Anne Arundel County? I got news for you. I prayed them out. You want to go with them? Because I prayed everybody out of this area who used to go here that only would want to stay around and badmouth this church if they're never ever going to be a part of this church again. I've, I've asked God to send them out and there's a bunch of them. You know, they went out the back door, never even said bye. Some of them didn't move far enough away, very far away, but they moved far enough that there's very little chance they will affect anybody that's coming to this church or that we might reach. Why did you do that to them for? Why? <laughs> Why should I have allowed them to stay here and just chew up every new convert that would God would give here? I got no responsibility to do that. You can be seated. I'm going to say this to you again. Do you have any idea of the pedestal your own in my heart and spirit? I mean, just about anybody in that group that stood up, if there was somebody down here that needed the Holy Ghost, I would have almost no reservation. I'd have no reservation with about 80 to 90% of you blindfolded, just walking among you if you were all in the crowd, just walking among you and just grabbing the first person my hand got a hold of, drag up here and say, pray for this person. And, and, and I would have expectation that you'd know what you were doing. Do you know how few churches there are like that? Do you not have any idea that the spiritual sensitivity that 99% of you that have been around here a while have <laughs> is so uncommon it's ridiculous? Do you know how careful we have to be who's invited to stand in this pulpit? Because a guy that's not for real can't stand here and snow you. We're long since past the point of just letting any old Tom, Dick, or Harry Pentecostal preacher get in this pulpit and do his little performance. Because I've seen way too many of you. You start out with some expectation, and he begins to manifest his spirit, and you just slide farther back in your seat, and you get comfortable and say, okay, how long do we have to endure this buffoon? 
Oh, hopefully you don't call him a buffoon. We, we can't do that. We can't just invite anybody to come stand here. Why? Because 90 plus percent of you, you pick up on him just like that. If he's not for real, if he doesn't have a relationship with God, if, if he doesn't know how to flow in the Holy Ghost, and all he wants to do is get up here and, and impress you with eloquence, you're polite. But I know that there's a whole huge difference between politeness and participation. I, I, I can't sit there and be upset with you. I can't sit there and be upset with you because you don't fake it. Because if somebody wants to get in this pulpit and fake it, I don't want you to act like them. So it's not a casual thing to just invite. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. I'm going to say this just about as generally as I can. And some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. You cannot believe the heat I put up with over the years because some very close relatives were never asked to be in this pulpit. What kind of, sorry I almost said it, what kind of relative are you? A saved one. I'm talking about never. I'm talking about from the beginning back. Never. I got some friends. They're friends. I love them. They're good guys. They've never been invited here. Why? Because we're too good? No, because you're too good. Because you'd pick up on what was going on in them in a heartbeat. First of all, I don't want you to know what's going on in them. Some of you are already fellowship with enough negativity on the Facebook. You don't need to add somebody in person. Oh, Jesus, help us. All five giftings have to be at work in this body at all times, some visibly, some not visibly, and they rotate around in order for this church, this body of believers to be brought to the place in God that it is fully equipped and motivated and dedicated to do the work of your ministry so the church can grow. It's been said over this pulpit or whichever one was the pulpit at any particular time that you don't build a church from a pulpit because sheep don't produce, shepherds don't produce sheep. It is the purpose 
of the fivefold giftings to fully equip the saints to prepare them to do their work so the church can grow thereby. Why? <laughs> oh, folks. In my darkest hours and most difficult times, one of the key things that kept me going, saw me through my struggles, struggles was the memories of being involved with people coming out of darkness into light. And the hope of participating with that again and seeing that happen one day in massive numbers. And it just keeps me going, see? Because I have those experiences and I have those memories. And oh, let me tell you something. That's worth everything. And the Lord wants that for you. Because if you're sitting around just coming to church to be blessed, just coming to church to be fed, <laughs> if, that's, uh, if, if that's what you're coming to church for, then you haven't crossed the line between immaturity and maturity. The immature saint, which everybody starts out immature, the immature saint, regardless of how long they've been saved, comes to church to get. The mature comes to church to give. And if you're in the place where you're supposed to be the giver instead of the getter, and you come to church, you begin to pick everything apart because you're not getting it's not the church that's the problem. It's not the pulpit that's the problem. It's you because you haven't, you haven't grown up yet. I'm not being unkind. That statement is not a slur. It's not slander. It's not criticism. It, it, it's a diagnosis to try to help you. We're supposed to grow up in God. Why? Because of the, because of the joy of the fruitful. We're all called to be fruitful in some way or another because of the joy that's fruitful. And how did Jesus endure his cross? Because of the joy that was set before him. And if you don't, if you haven't experienced any joy, or you, are, are you, you're not looking forward to joy, you're not gonna make it through your experience with a cross. Joy! is the only thing that keeps person going in their darkest hours. Not that they have joy at that moment, but that they have joy they're expecting and looking forward to again. <laughs> Jesus endured the cross. He didn't enjoy the cross. He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. There is no church, I don't care how good it does its religious, religion and religious stuff. There's no Pentecostal church. No matter how well they got all this religious stuff down, they can really keep people saved. Because if a joy has a, a church hasn't taught people how to experience joy and how to reach for joy and how to expect joy, joy, then people don't survive. And hear me when I say this to you. 
The only joy you can experience in a church service is his joy. And he said, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. The only joy that can vary in amount is your joy. And it's the joy of the person that's involved in the kingdom of God, that's involved with, with encouraging the, the feeble and picking up the one that's fallen down and struggling and, and, and helping the new person feel like a part and, 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 and reaching the one that's in darkness and helping them get in the light. His joy cannot increase or decrease. The question is whether or not his joy is in you. These things, and he was talking about fruit bearing in John 15. He says, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, but that your joy might be full. Because, oh, my brothers and sisters, joy is the only thing that keeps you going when your world is falling apart. If your world's falling apart physically, financially, family-wise, whatever it is that's falling apart, if you don't have an expectation of joy, you don't have what it takes to make it through your cross. I, I don't know if this fits here, but it's, it, it just came to my mind. I've never preached this before. Jesus said to us, If any man be my disciple, let him take up his cross daily and deny himself and follow me. He didn't say for me to crucify myself daily. He said I had to take up my cross daily. Now, here's Jesus. He's been beaten. He's gone through all these false trials before the Roman governor and before the high priest and all that. And they finally decided, okay, we're going to do this thing. And they put the cross on his shoulder to carry I got a question. He was 33 years plus old. You think he never saw a cross before? Do you honestly think he never saw anybody crucified on a cross before? Do you honestly think he had no expectation of what was coming? And friend, it wasn't a... A, 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 a philosophical expectation. It wasn't a, an imaginary expectation. You know why? Because he's carrying the instrument of his suffering and death that he's seen others nailed to similar ones. Oh, Jesus help us. John, uh, Hebrews 12. I'm paraphrasing now. He, he survived the cross. He endured the cross. He didn't enjoy the cross. But he made it through the experience of the cross. Why? Because he looked beyond the cross to the coming joy. Because in God there cannot be a death without a resurrection. There cannot be a trial without a future victory. In God, in God, there cannot be. There cannot be. The trial, the death is never the end. We, we were in Zanesville, Ohio last Wednesday through, actually, we came back Saturday, and we drove. Only about five and a half hours, not counting stop, 
beautiful drive. Weather was awesome. And uh, I have uh, James Earl Jones reading the New Testament on my iPad, my iPhone iPad. And I, and I hooked it up Bluetooth to my speakers. And all the way to Ohio and most of the way back, I listened to that majestic voice. My Lord. The guy was born in the South, raised in the North, sounds like he's from England. Sometimes I had to be careful to listen to what he was saying, just listen to him talk. But anyway, and, 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 and we're listening to that. We don't have it up loud, loud, but we have it up loud enough you can hear it without being over, just overwhelmed with it. And, and, and I knew that I wasn't going to concentrate on it every second of every minute on the trip. But when I wasn't concentrating, it was still entering my ears subconsciously. And I just letting that come in. And on the whole trip, there was one thing that when he said it, just boom, hit me in the head fresh and anew. He said, He that believeth on me shall never die. Believest thou this? And I went, Oh, yes, I believe that. Because friends and family may look at a corpse, but the moment I leave that house, that ain't me. And you know what he was saying? When you die, you don't ever lose consciousness. You go from the temporal to the eternal. Boom. Just, oh. He that believeth on me shall never die. Believest thou this? I preached in Chicago a couple of Sundays ago before the service started. I mean, they're reaching some people in Chicago. Let me tell you something. Brother Gonzalez Church. It is, it's got doctors in it and former gang leaders in it. It's got people that have, have done all kind of wonderful things to help other people and it's got murderers in it. Oh yeah. That's true. So I'm sitting there and, and one guy, somebody walked up to me just about time service gets started. He said, don't look now, but the guy in the back on the right is in that red shirt. He's one of the most notorious gang leaders in Chicago. So I'm sitting there, I'm going, okay, okay, Lord, now how would you like to handle this? Do I ignore him or do I get up in his grill? Oh, why not? And I talked about choosing to live a life of fear or a life of faith. And when you try to act tough, and you say you're not afraid, then why are you carrying that weapon? Quote, unquote, I said that.
But you see, the difference between you and me is I don't have to carry a weapon because you can't threaten me with heaven. That's not talk. I meant that many, many years ago. I mean it more tonight than I've ever meant it. I'm not volunteering to leave here because I'm not done yet. In fact, in all honesty, take this any way you want to take it. But the things that God's put in my heart that I've been called to do, I feel like I'm just now barely getting started with them. That's the truth for God. Whatever my place is, I've been called to make a, an impact on the body of Christ. Wherever God sends me, whatever doors he's opening, whether they seem small or big impacts, I've been called to make an impact on the body of Christ. And I'm going to do that. So, so, coming back to this, please. When are some of you precious people going to finally make peace with there's a reason why most of the time you don't really know who's going to be in the pulpit when you come to church. That's not because we're so slothful we can't announce in advance. Did you get that? Most of the time you don't know who's going to be in the pulpit because we don't want you coming to church because of who's going to be in the pulpit. Occasionally, when there's a reason to do so, we're going to announce it in advance, in advance. But it's not about personalities. And it's not about giftings. It's about the will of God. And, and the voice of God. And when and how it's supposed to be done. Now, if you will allow me. If you will allow me. I got some things to talk about in the next week or so. That's, uh, that's critical. I just want to touch on a little bit of it tonight. We're going to do something here in a minute. In all of this studying and teaching I'm doing and all these bishops that God is using me to ordain or participate in their ordination, ordination God is showing me all over again that first and foremost, it's about authority. The devil, you may have power. You may have the Holy Ghost and power, but the devil's not afraid of your power. He's afraid of your authority. I have in my wallet here something called a driver's license. Let me tell you what that is. I started driving around our house in a little Volkswagen bug when I was 12. My dad said, I want you to go out there in the yard and practice with that Volkswagen Beetle. Stick shift. 12 years old. He didn't care if I choked it down, if I ground the gears, because he wanted me to learn. And he didn't want me to learn on the street. First of all, he wanted me to drive around the house. And we didn't have a big yard, but it was enough to drive around the house, and there wasn't that much stuff to run over. Because... When you're in the military, wherever your home of record is, the state of residence, no matter where you're living, 
as far as driving is concerned, you go by those laws. So in 1958, uh, no, 50, 1960, I was 14, and I was the only person in Rhode Island, 14, with a learner's permit. Because the learner's permit couldn't be gotten in Rhode Island until you were 16. But I'm from Florida, and you get a four, at that time you got a learner's permit at 14. And not only, not only could I drive with an adult, but with a learner's permit, I could ride a scooter by myself. So I'd go wheeling up, my, my dad had bought a little scooter, bought it in, actually bought it in Italy on a Mediterranean cruise as, as the, on the USS Essex, and they let him put it on board there and bring it home, little Lambretta. And I was the only 14-year-old that could come tooling up in the high school parking lot, driving themselves. But I was saved enough to not take advantage of that. I'll just let you interpret that. Okay? I got my driver's license at 16. Uh, this card does not speak really anything about my ability to drive. Only that I have a basic ability to drive enough that they said we have reasonable expectations you won't kill yourself than anybody else. That doesn't mean I'm ready to take S-curves at 100 miles an hour sliding the back end through those curves. That doesn't mean I'm a professional driver. This is a license. This, this proves I've been given the right to drive. Speaks nothing to my ability to drive. That's the parallel of, a, of spiritual authority. A lot of people have spiritual giftings, but they don't have the authority to use them. They don't have the right to use them. Why? Because there's only one way to get authority. Only one way. Yes, sir. It doesn't matter if I like what you said, agree with what you said, as long as it's not false doctrine. Yes, sir. That's how I get authority, you see. Yes, sir. If I'm not willing to go, yes, sir, whatever you say, sir, I'm not going to have authority. So I may have giftings and abilities, but I have no right to use them. And the devil does not fear your abilities and your giftings and your intelligence. He only fears those that have the right to use them because he's got abilities and giftings, but he doesn't have the right to use it. So everything the devil does is usurped authority. Meaning he is illegally using what he has because he doesn't have a right to do it. And when a child of God presumes to use their giftings and abilities, the gifts of God that's been given you for the kingdom of God, and you're not submitted to authority, you're now participating in what the devil's doing which is usurping authority because you don't have any real authority 
And that's called rebellion. Rebellion is using giftings out from under the covering of authority. And let me tell you something else the Lord is showing me. In the Bible, you cannot separate authority from faith. The centurion says, Lord, my servant, Jesus, my servant's sick. He said, I'll come to your house. No, 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 no. I'm not worthy of you to come to my house. Just speak the word only because I too am a man under authority. And because I'm under authority, I say to these soldiers, go do this, this, come here. They do what I say. And Jesus said, I have not found so great a, a, oh, he didn't say so great of authority, did he? He said, I have not found so great a faith. No doubt in Israel. You know why? Because if you're trying to exercise faith, if you're trying to exercise faith, what you're speaking to will obey you to the same degree that you obey the authority over you. And you wonder why your prayers aren't answered? What is that saying? Oh, yeah. 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 Why? The disciple said, the apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. He said, faith's not your problem. You only need faith as a grain of mustard seed. You can say to this tree, get out of here. I want you over here. And it'll obey you. But which of you, plowing and feeding cattle, which of you has a servant out there plowing and feeding cattle and they come in from the field? Which of you says to them, I know you're tired. Go, go, go get rested and changed. And when you get to feeling better, then you can come and fellowship with me. But you don't say that. You say to them, you've come in from the field. You've been working out there. Now I want you to prepare a meal for me that I may sup. In other words, You've been involved in my work, but I want you to prove what your motive is because I want you to come in here and put your relationship with me ahead of yourself. Does he thank that servant because he did what he was commanded to do? I don't think so. So then, when you have done what's been, what you've been commanded to do, say, we are unprofitable servants. We've only done that which was our duty to do. But what does that mean? When I do what I'm commanded to do, what I'm expected to do, then when I speak, when I speak, what I'm speaking to is going to obey me and submit to what I say to the same degree that I submit to authority. So I can sit here and I can say, you know, I don't like how this is going. I don't agree with this. I don't like this. I don't think this is right. <laughs> oh, God. I hope you got good insurance. Because what's coming won't be God. Because what you've just done is rip the covering of authority right off you. And you've exposed yourself and your family. Because the only covering that protects you is authority. And the only way to get authority is to, to be, and to be covered by authority is to be submitted to authority. I can preach better than that guy. Uh, what's he, I can sing better than her. I can play better than her. What are they doing up there? Who's the one to put them up there? Well, ultimately, little old me. 
And when you challenge that, oh, Brother Wright, I, I believe in you. No, you don't believe in me. You think there's stuff done here that I don't agree with? If it is, it doesn't last long. <laughs> you think I'm going to get up here and tell everybody, well, that was started, but I fixed it. No, no. I'm going to do that. Now, if you want to get up and tell people that they can just trash holiness or you, you can be saved by confessing Jesus or there's, only, there's three persons of Godhead, I will pull your coattail right now. But I'm not, I'm not correcting leaders publicly. I wouldn't want to be treated like that. Why would I treat somebody like that? And whatever I do privately is none of your business. It's the same kind of privacy you would want if you were in the same place. Treat me with respect, yes. I want to be treated with respect, so I'm going to do my best to treat you with respect if you will let me. And when I say let me, I'm not talking about just me. I'm talking about every person that's in this church and every place of leadership with my, you know, somebody, there's been some folks that have implied, you know, Brother Wright, you're not here very much. You don't know what's going on. I wonder if I could get any takers that would be willing for me to walk up to you right now and tell everybody what's going on in your life to see if I can. And I don't know what's going on here. Oh, please, don't anybody say I don't believe it. Because I'm just waiting for somebody... To, be, to volunteer to be the guinea pig by saying in your spirit where I can hear it, I don't believe it. Don't know what's going on here? Oh, here's the word, disconnected. You think I'm disconnected from this? So God is only where you are and he's not where I am and I can't connect with what's going on here wherever I am? You don't think God can do that? You think he'd give me a responsibility and then tell me to go preach over here and then put me in a place where I couldn't fulfill my responsibility? Then he'd be the one responsible for my failure, not me. Oh, thank you for not challenging that. Because like you, like you, I don't want anybody to know my struggles. They're my struggles between me and Jesus. Thank God, thank God. But don't, don't you... Oh, God. I walk. Sometimes I don't sit up here. Because I'd just like to have church and not know what's going on. Just once, occasionally. Because when I sit here, <laughs> it doesn't take very many sweeps because you see what people don't understand is when you're not doing well you send out a a signal and you don't have any ability to keep that from going out
Why don't you do stuff about it? Because I'm not the boss. The longer I do this, the more I realize there's fewer and fewer things he lets me to deal with. Because he really would like to keep it between you and him. All I'm doing is praying about it. That's all. Here's the problem, okay? Number three tonight, and it's not going to go very long. Well, my part's not going to go very long. This church has been very, very powerful because of the depth and the power of its intercessors. And there was quite a cadre of powerful intercessors. 15 or 20 people that were just absolutely just as powerful intercessors as I've seen anywhere experienced. But almost all of them were ladies. And in almost every one of those situations where a lady was an intercessor, husbands who are supposed to be the covering have allowed themselves to get their brains beat out. They've struggled with authority. And when they started struggling with authority, they lost their covering, of their, their authority, their, the cover, their covering of authority. So they lost their ability to be a covering in their family. So now their wife, who's so heavily involved in intercession, is now exposed and vulnerable to get her teeth kicked in. And I'm going to tell you something right now. From my military training, I'll tell you something. When I realize somebody's got nukes aimed at me, I'm not worried about the guy with an M16. I want to take out those nuclear-tipped missiles. So that's where I'm going to marshal my forces to take out those, those people that really have the ability to hurt me bad. And that's intercessory prayers. And when it's the lady who is the intercessor, and her husband gets a little jealous of that, he, maybe he never admitted even to himself, he gets a little bit jealous of that, gets a little bit jealous of the, of the, the notice she's getting because of that, and, and then they have other problems come along, and they get a little bit... They get crossways with the leadership and authority. They don't intend to remove the covering off them. They don't intend to remove the covering off their wife. They just make choices to get crossways with leadership. And then they become victims. And there are, therefore, ladies and the ones that have survived, the ones that are still saved, who were intercessors, and they're sitting here, and <coughs> because they feel so uncovered, they're rarely involved in intercession. And, and, and the Lord has an answer for that. <coughs> There's a shift in the focus of intercession that is taking place in this church. And it's going to be demonstrated here tonight. Because 
because we are because we have a place in the body of Christ and in the end time church of some significance, whatever that is, that's God's business. But we have a place. We're a target. And if we don't have people praying, not every day, but regular, powerful intercession to not only be a defense for this body, but also to be on the offense against those who those things in the spirit that would try to come against us, we're not going to be, we're not going to win. There's a shift going to take place here tonight. It's not that, it's not that the ladies and their intercessory prayer is not going to continue to be of importance. It certainly is. The gifts and calling for God without repentance. And if you have a gift of a gifting of intercessory prayer, you need to use it, but you should not use it unless you're under the covering of authority. And if you have a husband, he's got to be submitted to leadership. If you're a single lady, then you personally have to be, you have to be submitted to leadership. Trust me, if something's being preached false here, Every person in this building has a responsibility to question that. But if what's being done in direction or methodology or whatever, I'm sorry. That leader doesn't answer to you. He doesn't have to use methods or direction that you like or agree with. Because the submitted say, I'm going this direction until God changes it. We'll find my place in it. I'm going to say it to you again. If false doctrine is being preached, you, you have a responsibility to your own soul not to stand with it. If it's false doctrine, if it's disagreement over methodology, structure, whatever, I love you and you can do what you want to. I'm not, I'm not rebuking anybody here. I'm pleading with you for your sake. You're uncovering your family. You're uncovering yourself. You're uncovering your family. Because there's only one way to have authority, which is your covering of protection, and that's to be under authority. And even for the best of us, even for the most spiritual of us, if we're not on, on guard, on watch, the scripture teaches, we can fall into that trap. Even for the best of us, even for those who have been here the longest, you, you can fall into that trap. It's not a bad, a matter of being a bad person. You just, you know, what are they doing? What are they doing? Why is this going like this? Why? That's not the way we used to do it. No, it's not. And I have to tell you, we're never going to do it again like we used to do. It's not going to happen. We're going forward. We're not going backwards. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. You can't do it. You can't put a new piece of cloth into an old garment and mend it. You can't do it. And if you get in the Spirit, then the Lord will give you peace over where we're going because we're going someplace. 
And I can't apologize for the cocoon, folks, because I want to fly. I'm not apologizing for the cocoon that's turning butterflies, uh, excuse me, caterpillars into butterflies. I'm not apologizing for that. <clears throat> and I want to say something else to you. Hear me, please. If you come to a church service, I'm talking to you. I'm not talking about the people who have just started coming or the ones that are still, they're, they're part of the crowd, but they're still not committed yet. I'm talking to you. I'm talking about the, the leadership and the committed people. I'm talking to you. If you're sitting in a church service, and nothing's happening, and you can't feel anything, oh God, you have a personal responsibility to put your face between your knees and begin to call on God. You don't have to make a scene, but it is not the persons in the pulpit responsibility to pull a rabbit out of a hat and make this thing work. We are a body. You got the same Holy Ghost we've got. You got the same name on you we have. You got the same responsibility in the spirit we have. We're all one body. Several years ago, I was at Maryland, D.C. youth camp. And, uh, well, I'm usually at Maryland, D.C. youth camp, especially since I became superintendent. How many years ago has that been? Four, five? All by themselves, there was a group of young men from this church that felt a a challenge from the Lord to not accept those services just being whatever. So all on their own, they got up early in ward and they came to church half hour, hour before church and ward because they weren't willing for those services to just be good Pentecostal church services. And you hear me when I tell you those young men broke the spirit of that thing and we had a move of God. The scripture says we need the young and we need the old. The old because of their experience and wisdom and the young because of their strength and passion. <coughs> yes, sir? Don't pray yet, just hold it. This man has a warrior spirit. Whoo, Lord, does he have a warrior spirit? Before, before any girls come, I want the young men who are willing to commit and join him <coughs> that you're going to pray and intercede. And help us break through into a flow of the Spirit like we've never had it, never had it before.
young men with strength, passion, anointing, burden, fire. They're about to start. Anybody else that wants to join them, male or female, young or old, can join them after they start. Whenever the Holy Ghost is ready, Brother Stephen. You see, oh, whoa, whoa, Lord. Hallelujah. Tell me you don't feel that. I said, tell me you don't feel that. Male or female, young or old, you're welcome to come join if you want to. We're going to break something here tonight. This isn't about a call to preach. This is about a call to war. This is about a determination. I'm not accepting bound church anymore. My God, my God, you're accepting a responsibility tonight that you're not going to sit in church when it's bound. You're going to pray. I need some volume on that microphone. I can't hear him. I want them to hear him. In Jesus' name. My God.
Come on, let's break it. Come on, let's break it. Come on. Let the Lord use you. Let the Lord use you. Let's break it. There's a shift taking place in this church tonight. You that are older, God's not rejecting you. He's not abandoning you. But the, the weight of this needs to come on the young to have the strength to do it. And to do it regularly. To do it consistently. Come on. My God, my God, my God, Jesus name. I will not settle. I will not settle. Rise up, Holy Ghost. Rise up, faith. Come on, let the Holy Ghost use the authority of God that's upon you. travail because travail is birthing the Lord wants to use the young with the strength they have and their passion to do the warring, the fighting, the victory but he wants to use those of you that are seasoned in intercessory intercessory prayer for the travail, the birthing if you've been used in intercessory prayer ladies I need you over here right now I want you to come right over here right now and let the Spirit of God begin to use you in travail to birth. Come on. Come now, please. Come on, right over here right now. We want birthing. We want people to be saved. As soon as Zion travail, babes are born. As soon as Zion travail, babes are born. This is warfare. I need some ladies to travail. To travail in birth. To travail in birth. Look 
The church is supernatural. It's not natural. The church is supernatural. It's not natural. The church is supernatural. It's not natural. Jesus name. Come on, let's pray. Come on, let's pray. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. 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 Everybody has a place. Everybody has a part. Everybody. Not everybody's called to do this. Not everybody's called to do this. But everybody has a place. Everybody has a part. And in a body, every part of the body does its part. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus.
Hallelujah. 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 Jesus name Jesus name Jesus name Hello Lord Robo Korata Tatahai Ye Kalarata Tatahai Ye Kalarata Tatahai Ye Ye Kalarata Tatahai Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Father. 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 Ah, ma, 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 Seventeen-year-old Joseph was called to eventually be the savior of Israel. Seventeen-year-old David was anointed king. And at 18, he defeated Goliath. Started the victory for the nation of Israel. The Holy Ghost told me a couple of weeks ago, that the transition of the responsibility of the primary responsibility for warfare intercession was going to transition tonight. It was going to start tonight. Do not let the devil tell you you're too young for this kind of responsibility. It's a lie. It's a lie. 
And if you will determine, I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do this. But I am going to commit to God that when I feel stuff bound, I am going to take the responsibility to pray until I feel a break. And there's not going to be a call prayer meeting before church. We're just going to leave that up to the hungry. Okay? Because the authority is here. Are you guys perfect? No less perfect than I am. No more perfect than I am. But there's an authority here. Because myself, senior pastor, and your pastor, all are expressions of the covering of authority over you. That gives you the opportunity to involve yourself in this and be protected, to be covered. And you have the opportunity to make this thing, to see this thing happen, and to know in your spirit you contributed to it. Because it cannot happen without these things being broken. Did anybody feel what happened in the spirit world when they started? Did you feel that? My, if anybody needed a witness of the Holy Ghost of what was happening to confirm what God has said here tonight, that's all you needed. It's still vibrating. The spirit world still vibrating just like this. There was a huge number. I don't, I'm not going to throw out a number out there. There was a huge number of angels that burst out of this place because they were released because people started praying with confidence and faith and in authority with determination and allowed them to go. And some of you ladies have been such faithful intercessors. And you've been an intercessor, intercessory warrior kind of out of due season because no one understands travail like a mother. Most of you here are mothers. And you cannot, you can defeat the devil all you want, but if nobody is travailing to give birth, there's not going to be any results. And whether you're praying with somebody else or with a group or by yourself, there's got to be travail. There's got to be. And let me tell you, tell you guys something. Tell you ladies something. And you ladies over here and guys over here, whatever. Okay? Warfare and travail intercession is the greatest test of your true humility. Because if you ever only do that in public when there's people watching, it's still God. But your, your motive's wrong. Your intercessory prayer needs to be like an iceberg. About 10% of it's done where people see. About 90% of it's done where nobody knows except whatever group you're with. Not in front of the church. And people come in and say, wow, what a, what a move of the Spirit of God here tonight. And if they never know that you were part of the group that helped break through for that service that night, the Lord knows that's all that counts. The Lord knows. 
it is not. You're doing yourself and God a great disservice when you sit there with your spiritual arms folded and say, Preacher, come on. Let's have a move of God. And when you get that move of God going, Preacher, I may get involved with you, but till then, no way. No, 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 no. The preacher's the leader. He's not the one that does it. He's just the one that helps keep order and gives some direction. It's the body who who, who does the warring. The Lord's ready. If you experienced something in the Holy Ghost tonight, confirming to you as you participated that God is really wanting you to participate in this. You say, well, I'm not sure. What did you feel while you were doing it? Did you feel a connection with what's being done? Did you have a flow with what's being done? Then don't wait to have to get in a group to do that. You you could be sitting at the house reading a book or something or playing a video game, God forbid. And all of a sudden you're feeling something. You go, what's that? What what am I feeling? And you sit over, just reach over and hit the power button and say, okay, Lord, is this you? You sit there and you close your eyes and you just say, you just feel after God say, Lord, are you, are you trying to talk to me here for a minute? Are you trying to, Lord, I, I want to give you first opportunity. I, I don't want to put you behind, so whatever. I'm going to give you first opportunity. Is this you, Jesus? Is this you? And you just begin to pray quietly in tongues. And the next thing you know, all of a sudden that thing shifts and it goes, it takes off because you didn't make him beat you over the head because he's really not going to do that. It's just a tugging. And, and right at the first, it may not register in your conscious mind, but it's just a tugging. And all of a sudden, you go, whoa, what's that? What, what is that I'm feeling here? And you begin to feel after that, wait on that. Just begin to quietly pray. Well, if it's the Holy Ghost... It won't be long after you start quietly praying till you begin to feel that flow begin to build. And it's the more you yield, boy, all of the next thing you know, it's there. Because you're sensitive to it. If you're ever going, only going to do this when the preacher says, I want somebody to come up here and intercede, you're going to be on the fringes of it, just the fringes of it. But if you allow yourself to be committed to what God's done tonight and you commit yourself to feel after it and not let people persuade you not to get involved with it? Let me tell you something. If you want to walk in the Spirit, you're going to spend some time alone. You're going to, you're going to have some occasions where people call and say, let's go do it. No, I, I can't tonight. What are you doing? I, I'd rather not say I just can't tonight. You don't have to tell them what you're doing. I just, I just can't tonight. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I got a commitment I have to keep. And you spend some time alone with the Lord and see what happens. You know, I can do what you did. 
once every six months. No, something, whatever. I still have that gifting. I still have that authority. I don't have the physical strength to do that on a regular. I just don't. I'm not. It's not poor me's. I don't have that. But look at you guys. You're young. You're strong. You're healthy. You got all that that God can take and use. And after the Lord uses you, and it's powerful. Man, day or so, you're ready to go again. Voice kicks right back, and and whatever fatigue you felt, that's gone. And here you are, you're ready to go. The devil's afraid of that, and he wants you to sit here and believe that you're not important and you don't have a place. And and you know you got to wait till you're 60 years old before you're ever going to be of significance around here. It's a lie. It's a lie. And you got all this support here. Around you, there's there's older men and I, and this audience and this congregation. There's there's older men here, all available to be there for you, to help you. If you just stay covered by authority, you're okay. Jesus said, Luke ten nineteen. I'm quitting. Behold, behold, I give you. King James says power. The Greek words exousia, not dunamis. Authority. Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. When you're under authority and operating in the authority that you've received because you're submitted to authority, it protects you. Protects you. Father, We give you praise and thanks tonight. We honor you. We glorify you. We praise you. We thank you for what you've done tonight. We thank you for your call. (laughs) We thank you for this call that's gone out to these young men and and these ladies. and, And we thank you for your confirmation of that call your desire to use them mightily in you. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. Lord Jesus, be glorified. Let your kingdom be edified. Let your kingdom be manifested. In Jesus' name, let your will in heaven be done on the earth. And let your name be sanctified and lifted up in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, let a spirit of steel-like determination come into the heart and spirit of every person in this building that's yielded themselves to you. 
that says, I will not passively sit through another service again where there's struggle, that I will join with the leader and defeat what's resisting us and break through whatever is in our way, that your will might be done, that people might be helped and healed and delivered and saved. In Jesus' name, we give you the praise and thanks for it. Amen. God bless you. Uh, one more thing real quick before you go. Uh, next Tuesday night, I guess, Brother Simpson, Brother Valley, uh, let's shoot for 7 o'clock. Is that all right? Okay. I'm sorry I didn't see you. Okay. Look for you. Uh, next Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, I'm going to be leading a prayer meeting in our Baltimore building, and there's going to be three basic steps to it. We're going to praise the Lord and move into a flow. And then we're going to anoint everything in that ability, in that building, with oil in the name of Jesus, in the Holy Ghost. And drive every spirit that thinks it has a right to stay there out. And establish that building as an embassy of the kingdom of God. Then, then, the third part is, then we're going to begin to war against the principalities that are causing such disturbance in Baltimore and keeping people blind and bound and lost. That's the pattern right there. Tell you in advance. That's the three things we're doing. I don't know how long that's going to take. doesn't matter to me. When you've got to go, you can leave. But this has got to be done, and it's got to be done now, and it cannot, does not need to be done progressively. It needs to happen. Boom. And I know you guys have already been doing praying. I know you have. So it's not like we're walking in cold turkey. Our brothers and sisters from Baltimore are already doing praying. But I'm, I'm opening this to those that would like to come. It's, it's fine. It's totally optional. But if you're coming, you're not coming as a spectator. If you're just going to come and spectate, I really want you to not come. Everybody that walks in the building... I'm asking you to come as a participant because we need absolute unity in the spirit so that we can have victory. Praise God. Praise God. At 7 o'clock, there should be parking spots on the street so that you can park reasonably without having to walk too far. Okay? God bless you. Oh, the pastor was in uh, Baltimore tonight for a Purpose Institute graduation. He was the speaker, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Brother Yu is with him. That's where they are. So, uh, just wanted you to know. He wanted you to know that. Okay. God bless you. <laughs>